iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. not happening yes well, great marvellous wonderful excellent yeah I'm slightly depressed about Donald Trump actually that's also I think contributing to my state of mind it's just I know I knew it was inevitable but it's just becoming very real now yeah what do we do with that feeling of inevitability and well you what, know, I, what I used to do with that feeling was go and volunteer you know, in the US for Democratic candidates was the only way I could feel calm during the whole of the 2016 election and the 2020 election, but I can't really do it from here. Well, you so could. Well, You'd have a very big very, phone bill. Yeah, I'd have a big phone bill. Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure how good it was for my mental health, deep canvassing Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for, you know, months in the middle of COVID, locked in my flat. But, but, it, but it, it did at least help me feel like I was doing something. And this just feels overwhelmingly... You just feel quite helpless. Did you ever feel that you had genuinely changed somebody's political direction? Yeah, yeah. Or at least that they were considering voting in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the the deep canvassing that I did with this grassroots organisation in 2020. Yeah. So that was phoning people up to do more than just a... Which way do you think you're voting? Would yeah. you consider this other candidate? Yeah. This was, was a proper talk. It was a long, you were on for half an hour talking to them about you know, how they'd fared during COVID, how their families were feeling, um, what they were struggling with, what they were unhappy with, what they needed to see changing. And, th- and this was calling Republicans. This was calling Republicans. It wasn't calling undecided voters. It was calling Republicans. What do you think those Republicans would be thinking now? Do you think they've stayed swayed? No, this is the problem. I don't think they've stayed swayed at all because I think the last four years have been so noisy from Trump and I think all the things that seemed a ridiculous claim at the end of 2020, the idea that the election had been stolen, the idea that January the 6th he had nothing to do with it, the idea that he was the victim, have really calcified over the last four years because it's been relentless. And I think a lot of those people felt like they needed more support and felt like, you know, they they gave Biden a chance. But unfortunately, I don't think they're going to give him another chance because I think Trump's messaging has been so effective. Um, Yeah, so I think, unfortunately, people were swayed for one time only. Why doesn't the Democrat Party find a really much younger, much more energetic, much more, I don't know, kind of modern candidate? See, this is an interesting thing because I think in the UK, we think Americans feel like... Democratic Americans feel like us, that Biden's too old and hasn't been very effective. Actually, they're quite pleased with him and how he's done as a president. Okay, the economy's not in great shape right now, but he's actually done quite a lot and been a pretty effective president as a Democratic president. I think a lot of people I speak to aren't unhappy with him. His age is an issue, but they don't see it as a 
massive problem. They actually think his age and his experience is quite good. I think we over here are just... Uh, we're uninspired by him. And I think... Yeah, and we only see the lowlights. We only see the lowlights. We only see the stumbling and the falling and the the misspeaking. We don't actually see him getting through, you know, some fairly workaday legislation that makes a big difference to people's lives there. But I think it's it's a true fact that the Democrats haven't got anyone coming up through the ranks. But that's also partly, and this is just my opinion, because Biden won't let them because he doesn't want them to. He doesn't want to be challenged. He wants to be a second-term president. So he isn't supporting people who might have spent the last four years being groomed to be a replacement. But my mum wants to have Christmas at her house every year. She's the same age as Joe Biden. We push back. (laughs) Now. Could you maybe just have a word with Jill? Do you know what I'll get to? Just ring Jill, have a word. Tell her tell her how you managed to get your mum out of the kitchen around to your house. I'm gonna get Scylla, that's my mum, (laughs) to phone Jill. That's a conversation that we all need to hear as well. I'd like that. We could just play that as a separate podcast. Yeah. Uh, can I share with you a small detail from my weekend, Jane? Please. Because I think you'll just immediately be able to beat it uh, into the dark corner of life that it deserves to be swept and beaten into. I went to a class on Sunday, and I won't be alone in signing up for a new class in January. It was called Aromatherapy Yoga. <laughs> <laughs> And at one point, it was largely conducted in the dark. And there was, at one point, there was... To heighten the the other senses. Exactly, exactly (laughs) that, as the instructress told me afterwards. And there was a light dusting of something, uh, you know... Was it legal? Aromatherapeutic, (laughs) whatever it was. But I haven't been to yoga classes for years and years and years and years and years. Uh, And I thought, well, I better just start again, because that would be a good thing. At one point... The instructress, she 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 told everybody to breathe through our feet, <laughs> and the thing that that surprised me was there was just no resistance yeah. to this extraordinary hour long mantra of can I say bollocks, Eve? Well, I've said did. bollocks. Yeah, we could say word salad. Word salad. Well, it's worse than that, isn't it? Because it's all of that. Uh, give yourself permission to do things. Uh, breathe in the goodness. Breathe out everything you don't need. And you just kind of think, no, A, life's not that simple. Uh, B, I don't want to be giving myself permission all the time. I mean, where's the slip? Where's the form? Where's the bit where I sign? Do I really need to do that? And you physically can't breathe through your feet. Uh, what is the daftest class you've ever been to? Because you've lived in some very odd places. Uh, yeah. I think you've probably done some quite bendy things with your time. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, when I went to sex camp in Australia, I went to a there lot you go, of weird kids. classes. There you go, kids. There you go, everybody. I went to Naked Awakening, which okay. was not only getting naked in a room full of strangers, but in front of one person who was your partner for that class, and they had to witness you getting naked, um, which was excruciating. Poor Dave from New Zealand I'm still sorry about that but after the witnessing no, 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 there on. was some primal screaming no. from other people not me hang on hang on we've not done the witnessing yet so by witnessing did that just give him permission, permission to, to watch me right <laughs> as I got naked um and and you had to watch him get naked yeah yeah give him permission and then the only bit I enjoyed about the class 
Uh, I didn't join in the howling and primal screaming that everyone else did when we got naked. But we did then turn all the lights off and have a naked rave, which I quite enjoyed. But yeah, the same weekend, I went to um, a bondage class, which is bondage massage. Um, How does that work? There's a lot of bruising afterwards. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. Um, I went to... Oh, it was a funny form of yoga because I don't like yoga either. It was spanking yoga. Oh, for heaven's sake. Yeah, again, quite a lot of bruising. But I'll go to loads of weird things now. I'm going to a gong bath sauna later. I think... Do you know what? I'm not very cynical about the, the gong bath no, thing. I'm going to have a lovely time. I, mean, I think as long as you don't sit too close to it because yeah. you can damage your ears, obviously, and all that kind of stuff. But there is something lovely about... About yeah, just lying down. Big sounds, Big so, very low sounds. But I think you're right, you you hit on something with the breathing through the feet oh. thing because I went to a sound bath and tarot session not long ago because yes, I live in Brighton and that's what people do on Fridays. Um, and after we there was you know all sorts of lying down and drumming and you know tarot things, and then at the end of the session we we're all told to just sit up and talk about anything that came up for us in the session. And one girl said, when we were wiggling our toes at the end of the session and, you know, getting the feeling back, she said that she had a distinct sense that she had webbed feet like a lizard. Okay. Uh, Do you think they'd be any more breathable? Possibly. Possibly. The webbing. Quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the, the, you know, facilitator said, you should go home and look up the spiritual side of lizards and what that means. Because you quite possibly are one. And she did say, I like lizards. Okay, well... <laughs> As you said, bollocks. Yeah, but there are people out there who truly believe in the lizards, aren't they? I mean, that's the basis of... Oh, yeah, of David the, Icke. Yeah, but isn't it also um, at, the, at the heart of some of the Scientology stuff? Oh, it's Scientology. Oh, you're right, it is. Yep. I believe yeah. the lizards might feature there. But I just... It's, I suppose when I did yoga, I mean, it would easily be 15, 20 years ago... Uh, there wasn't there wasn't the talking all the way through, mm. you know, that kind of soundtrack of whatever it's meant to be. Twaddle. Twaddle, yep. Just mm. goober speak. <laughs> just, it, I found it just immensely distracting. Yeah. Not at all therapeutic. No. And just really annoying. And, and if it was that easy to just find the joy in life and to solve all of the, you know, past misgivings and misdeeds in your life, uh, then... You know, we'd all be queuing out the door, wouldn't we? But I even get annoyed when they tell you how to breathe. It's like breathing is something that you just do. It comes quite naturally. Mm. I don't really think you have to focus on it to that extent. I know. Yeah. Uh, Hello, and this one comes from Jules, who's in a windy nook in the northeast of England. Uh, First time emailer, but after hearing the story about the tortoise on a previous episode, uh, we've had some very rampant tortoises. I've been listening. One with a broken shell. Yeah. (laughs) I feel compelled to tell you about my experience on the Galapagos Island of Isabella. As part of my Nana Gap year, do you know what that's a whole feature, isn't it? From teaching, I was 42 at the time, I had a placement at the Giant Tortoise Breeding Centre. My role included caring for and monitoring the ever-so-cute, teeny-tiny baby tortoises. However, each day on the walk to and from the centre, I was greeted by the almighty racket of several copulating giant tortoises who would think nothing of it to literally sustain this activity for days at a time. That is some tortoise stamina. Isn't it? 
but they live for a very, very long time. They're just on a completely different kind of time-lapse programme to the rest of us, aren't they? And it does take them about a month to eat a piece of lettuce. <laughs> yeah, so four-day sex blenders would seem yeah. right. Uh, and Jules is haunted by this. It haunts her to this day, and she can vividly recall the look of bemusement and boredom on the faces of those poor, long-suffering females. You've spotted it, Jules, haven't you? Thank you for that. <laughs> um, following on, dear Jen and Fee, following on from your programme on royalty, as an expat living in New Zealand, I, this is a really good question, I think. I wondered why the British people agreed to pay for the King's coronation while the cost of living is so high and Charles is one of the wealthiest people in the country. Were there protests? Did he pay for anything? I, we were. Thank you, Jean. It's a great question. We weren't asked if we wanted to pay for it, were we? No. I mean, it was just decided. And there were protests, but they were um, they were quite contained. I'm going to use that word. There may be some inverted commas around it. Mm. Uh, but no, there wasn't. But it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't a question. Like there was a, a referendum. No. On it. Uh, and I will use this as an opportunity to tell one of my favourite stories about Prince Charles, which you've probably heard before. That it's all right, I'll feign interest. I, I, can, I can do that. Told. <laughs> I've been told that Prince Charles is not only wealthy, but quite particular. So when he goes and stays at other people's houses for the weekend, he brings his own butler with him to make him a martini in case they don't have martini or the drinks aren't good enough. Um, but not only that, but sometimes he takes some of his own furniture with him as well. His own bed and paintings. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I want to believe this, that he basically rolls with a removal van when he goes to, you know, other country houses for the weekend Good and God. just installs his bed. Well, I could understand taking maybe a regal mattress topper <laughs> so that, you know, the, the, yeah. the regal body didn't get in any way infested, but a whole bed and paintings. paintings. Wow. Okay. Believable, okay. no? I can believe that because I think it's just that funny thing, isn't it? Of there just aren't very many people around all of those top royalty. He's king now, isn't he? He's absolutely <laughs> top royalty. Note to self: uh, who can say no? That's a bad idea. Yeah. What so you, do? you know, I mean, history is littered with that kind of um, rather daft embellishment. But that's. I mean, I like my bed as well, but I don't. Think, I wouldn't take it with me. I'd be a bit insulted as well if I was the hostess. You know, let's say that I am the dowager duchess of Bouclou or whatever they, whatever they are. I don't know how to say that. Do you know? It's the you know the B U C C L E U G H. How do you say that? Bewley. Bewley. Okay, is it? I think I just said it confidently. I've absolutely no idea. I think it's probably. I'm gonna, we're going to call it. <laughs> Let's just say Chatsworth. Yeah. You'd be a bit put out, wouldn't you, yeah. if you had to take down all of your paintings and exactly. put up somebody else's. Yeah. What if you had to install a new day-day rail just for the King's paintings? Yep. Gosh, I tell you what, sometimes we do have extraordinary listeners who know extraordinary things about this. You could send in something anonymous if you know anything else about those kind of yeah, please do. little details. Uh, Kathleen has said, thank you so much for profiling the tricky subject of how to talk to our children about porn. My daughters are 15 and 17. I've been trying to talk to them on and off about this for some time with no success. Each time I bring it up, they tell me to stop being embarrassing and that they're not comfortable having this conversation with me. But determined to get through to them, I persevere, trying to explain calmly that violence isn't part of a loving relationship. I know there are exceptions to this, but if they go down the Fifty Shades of Grey route in the future... 
That should be their choice, not because they feel it was expected. And my most recent attempt ended with both of them leaving the room and me shouting after them, just don't let anyone choke you, in the desperate hope that this would sink in enough to make them question any such behaviour should it arise. I'm not confident my bumbled attempts are having any positive impact and I've been strictly forbidden from talking about it again as it's too awkward. What can I do? I hate the thought of their introduction to sex being aggressive and them feeling obliged to go along with it as I think that's the norm. But they'll walk out of the room if I raise the subject again. So Kathleen, I think uh, you're not alone in this, by the way. So many people have emailed in with exactly that problem. And actually Fumble, which is the sex education website that we featured on the programme on Thursday, is absolutely amazing. I think you could do worse than simply forward that to them. Um, So there's loads and loads of really well-written articles, you know, written by very young people uh, about what to expect in sexual relationships and all of those boundary issues are covered. Um, And, uh, you know, apart from that, I think, I know it's difficult to do, but I think you do just have to keep on raising it within conversations until it doesn't get awkward or maybe just say to them, which is the bit that we would be able to talk about that you don't find awkward and also just let them know that you find it awkward too. I was going to say... It's orcs all round. It's totally orcs. All conversations about anything private or personal or sexual are very orcs to have with your parents when you're a teenager. doesn't mean that it's not going in. Yes, I would agree. And and if there are just a couple of other things, you could just shout at them as they leave the room. <laughs> I really like the don't let anyone choke you. Yep, I might start I'd, shouting I'd that at my goddaughter. Yep. She's only 11, so hopefully it's oh, not happening God. anytime soon. But I'd like to, you know... Yeah. Getting there. Actually, um, and one tiny thing that I have done occasionally with my kids. I mean, they're you know they're they're not kids now. Actually, they're quite old teenagers. But uh, when we when we did have to talk about difficult things, and and it was awkward for both of us. We used to sit on opposite sides of a sofa or the table or a bed and face the other way, just so we did not have to look at each other, and we'd have a conversation kind of back to back. And I know that sounds a bit daft, but it just in some weird way it does help. I also think having those conversations in the car helps. My Mum and I used to, because she taught at the school I went to, we used to have our most difficult conversations side by side, driving to or from school so that we didn't have to look at each other. Yeah. It's a very good tactic. It is. And maybe put magic on in the background. We don't mind <laughs> yeah, if it's not time okay. to radio for a while. <laughs> just the gentle, soothing sounds of something by Westlife. Might exactly. Help. This is related to something you mentioned last week on the podcast about wanting to hear from people who lived in all-male households. Yes. That was very interesting. And actually, I've got multiple friends who've got three boys. Um, yeah. They just need respite most of the time, those people. Respite and a bit of a hand hanging the laundry out. Um, but this is from Beck. Dear Jane and Fee, not my story, but my mother-in-law's family legend tells the story of her getting so frustrated with the men in her life, a husband and three sons, not doing enough to help her around the house, that she took a pair of scissors to the electrical cable and cut it through while they were watching telly. She didn't switch it off at the wall first. It's very dangerous. Exactly. I don't know how she didn't get electrocuted. She did it so often that in the end, the cable was so short that the telly had to be right in front of the socket for it to reach. She says, Beck said, while my husband tells this story with amusement, he's also sympathetic towards her and has not continued to behave like this in his own home. So maybe there was something to be said for her methods after all. Meanwhile, Beck said, I am jealous of the scissors she had as, one, they were obviously impressively sharp and B, she could locate them when she needed them, neither of which applies to the scissors in my house. 
I do know of one lovely, lovely mum who's got four boys uh, who just carries around all of her kind of female things in a wash bag, you know, just because the because the house is just absolutely festooned in, you know, Fox. Gillette... And Gillette. Yeah. And so she's Parkers. got a, she's got a bag of pretty Footy kit and nice yeah, oh. smelling things. Yeah. Oh she's carry it around so she can smell it at all times. Yes, but she can smell the boy. There's nothing that that woman doesn't know about male behaviour, and she's been a fountain of information, and I thank her for it. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts. Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, do you want to squeeze one in before we go to our big guest? Yeah. Can we squeeze placentas in? Please do. Okay. I've so. squeezed a couple out, love. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do them? Eat them, bury them? No, not Don't at all. Know. No, I'm not that, not that type of, not that type of mum. Actually, go tomorrow aromatherapy yoga, and you might be. Yes. Yep. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry if I let the side down, and somebody's pear tree could have really benefited from it. But uh, no, they just went, they just went in the waste. No. Um, so uh, this is from a listener who doesn't say where she is actually, but she says, apologies if this is common knowledge or has been discussed before and I'm just late to the party, but I had no idea that placentas could be taken home from hospitals for burial or consumption. Uh, Our listener says, I only recently came across someone on Facebook who was asking about the strict quarantine laws for bringing plants into Tasmania. She was concerned that the plants she'd grown from the buried placentas of her children would be confiscated when she moved there. When others responded with helpful advice, I realised I was totally out of loop on the topic. Also, I didn't know that placentas were taken home and eaten. Only found out from reading the Women's Royal Hospital Placenta Fact Sheet 
Mind you, our listener says it's eons ago when I left hospital with a baby in one hand and the address of the local postnatal classes in the other. Um, but she has very kindly sent us the link to the placenta fact sheet from the Women's Royal Hospital in Victoria, Australia. Um, it, it is actually fascinating, this read. Um, and does it advise you to eat it or does it just say that you can? It says, yeah, taking your placenta home for consumption slash encapsulation. If your plan is to take it for consumption, such as encapsulation, not quite sure what that means, tell your midwife before the birth so that she handles it with sterile gloves and quickly puts it in the cooler. Placenta for consumption should not be treated just as you would treat raw, fresh meat. Should be placed in the cooler as soon as possible. Should not be stored in a fridge where food is kept. Fascinating. I will just say, I was in South Korea uh, in November and I was offered a placenta massage. And they have placenta face masks as well. I was confused. I didn't know whose placenta. Do they farm them? God, I said no. It was also 65 quid for the placenta massage, so... I tell you what, my aromatherapy yoga is just your average kind of let's get a cup of coffee type thing, isn't it? Placenta massage. I would find that. So if it was with somebody else's placenta, I would think that was almost a kind of criminal activity. I know, exactly. Do they harvest them? Centre smuggling. Okay. And also, I don't like the sound of something that you can't keep in a fridge with with other food. foods. Mm. So, uh, stories of placentas will keep us going for months, I suspect. Uh, and do you know what? There's something so weird and, and tribal, though, isn't there, about uh, nearly all aspects of parenting and that kind of, um, you know, owning your natural birth and the placenta eating type stuff is I definitely felt bad that I just was really happy a I was very happy to go into hospital to have my babies only managed that with one of them um but also just didn't even think to ask about keeping the and I have been made to feel on occasion a bit bad about that really yes so I would love to hear wow um, that I mean it's one Other thing, you thoughts. know, putting pressure on women to breastfeed, but putting pressure on you to eat your own placenta if oh, you don't fancy it. No, I think there is a thing. I think there, oh. there, there is a there is a thing, and I suppose it's just people going against the kind of medicalisation of maternity services, and there's an argument for that. There's definitely an argument for that. I can see that. Uh, but I, I think I've sometimes in conversation dodged questions about how I had my children and what I did in case I slightly didn't pass muster. <laughs> so From people who could successfully breathe through their feet, no less, I'm sure. Bingo. Mm. Yeah. Now, you might have watched my next guest win gold at the 2020 Tokyo Games in the pool, a superb victory in both the 200-metre freestyle and the 4x200-metre relay. But you might also remember Tom Dean's family for their fabulous celebration back at home in the small hours of the night. Now, Tom is in the squad for the 2024 Paris Olympics, where he hopes to win not two but five gold medals. He also has a podcast out called Medal Machine where he's asking lots of other sporting legends and business leaders and all sorts for their advice and helping him achieve his dreams. Now I put it to him that it starts, the podcast that is, with some of the most motivational music ever made in the history of motivational music taken from the CD mark. Now that's what I call the most motivational music ever, part 342. I asked Tom how important music might be to his training. We use music when we're training um, because when you've got those really long, tough, you know, two-hour tough sessions where you're in the trenches, that's when we actually use music. 
I don't use it um, when I race though. So I don't listen to music. I haven't got any headphones on. I've got no earphones in. I'm very much wanting to hear the crowd and hear everyone around me. But when I'm training, my coach, uh, Dave, he's a really big like house music fan. Um, so he's always got a big set on. Uh, he's got this massive speaker that he wheels on full size and we'll have a lot of house music going when we're uh, when we're training. Um, but no, when I actually compete, I'm, I'm very much wanting to hear the crowd and everyone else around me. Because quite a lot of your fellow competitors will come on, won't they, with the massive headphones? Is that to block out the noise or are they listening to the motivational music? I think so. Block out the noise, get themselves psyched up. I'm not too sure. But for me, I'm always like, you know, the crowd's there. It's going to be loud. There's going to be people cheering. There's going to be pressure. You know, I don't want to kind of hide away behind headphones. I want to go out there and hear it and see everyone and enjoy it um so i've and, and also like i always worry that it's it's another thing that can go wrong you know i'm always worried that if i've got a spotify song up one of my siblings is going to be on the spotify account and change music or something i'm going to end up listening to what they're listening to when i'm walking out to a race so no i'm one less thing to worry about i'm very happy to walk out uh, and hear the crowd can you take us into the pool with you when you are racing talk us through what that actually feels like um, because it's a it is different to other sports isn't it because you are underwater I wonder about the senses that you have with regard to the crowd and actually knowing where your fellow competitors are in the pool as well yeah so so firstly you're right is where everyone else is so I only breathe to the right hand side so I do four lengths of the pool so half I'm breathing one way half I'm breathing the other way so you kind of have a rough idea of where everyone is but you never know at all times you know it's not like you're on a pitch and you can see everyone you have a rough idea of where everyone is you can hear the crowd but when you're underwater you can't you know off the turns and on the dive and stuff like that um so that that's that's always an interesting one and also you you, you know you kind of have a sense of your body it's, it's almost hard to explain you have like the feel in the water and how you how your how your body's feeling in the water and when you you've trained well and you're tapered and you're at that peak peak performance i always equate it to like that first length it's like you're floating above the water almost you're so ready to go and fired up that first it's like a free length you know and then you start to get into the race and then as you get close to the end you've really got a kind of graph to to, to get your hand on the wall but yeah it's, it's a weird weird experience and not one I can quite put into words almost yeah it's almost slightly out of body it's such an interesting point, isn't it? Because in other sports, you would be able to kind of know that you were in a photo finish, wouldn't you? Because you'd be able to see where the other athletes were or, you know, if you're throwing the javelin or whatever, uh, you know, the visuals are incredibly important. So so that last kind of push that you do towards the wall, how do you train for that? How do you train for knowing that somebody else might be in, in exactly the same place in the pool as you. Yes, yeah, so when I actually won in Tokyo, I was breathing to the right-hand side and the guy that came second is a friend of mine, a, a teammate of mine. He was on the left-hand side of me, so I didn't even know he was just a few one hundredths of a second behind me. So I'm just thinking down the last 15 metres, get your hand on the wall as quickly as possible. You know, don't just, just get to the end of this lane as quickly as you possibly can. But in terms of actual training, like we will do sessions where you push your body to maximal exertion you produce as much lactic acid in your muscles as possible and then you try and do a real fast sprint you know an all-out 50 meter effort so just a single length to try and recreate what it's going to feel like when you're three quarters of the way through the race your muscles are locking up with the with the lactic acid and you've got to put a spurt on at the end so we we, we do train for it 
I think when you're in training, you've got to, I always take myself to a place where I like, I'm getting chased down. I'm fighting for a spot. I'm fighting for a medal. I'm fighting to win, um, to try and recreate it. But yeah. And, and then you, you hope that when you get to race day, your, your, your body's prepped and you're not going to, you know, come back in a body bag and, and not manage to make it to the end of the pool. Yes. God, heaven forfend. Uh, let's talk about the podcast then. Tom Dean, Metal Machine. Uh, so you're looking ahead to the Olympic Games in Paris and you're asking all kinds of people to share a bit of wisdom with you in order to make sure that you absolutely nail it. Mm. Now, I did think, gosh, what happens if all of your competitors are just listening to Tom Dean's Metal Machine and picking up all of the tips too? <gasps> Yeah, absolutely. Then, then you know they'll they'll get all the advice as well. But hopefully, it's going to be, it's it's going to be a, a a conversation I'll be having. So it, it'll be a little bit more tailored. It's going to be kind of a bit more individual. But it's also going to be taking everyone on the journey. So other athletes, competitors, members of the public, whoever, getting everyone you know to 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 know what it's like, have an insight into being an elite athlete. Track people, you know, track me on this journey and and. And see what the six months leading up to an Olympic Games and, and you know, one of only two or three that an athlete may get in their lifestyle is really like. Because most of the time, it's just that one and a half, two minutes that people see at the end. It's not the the months leading up to it. So that's the kind of premise of it. And and also, like you said, getting people from all different industries, all different worlds to to, to chip in and, and bring any advice and any help they can and, and be part of that that machine as well so tell us about your expectations at paris 2024 so it is it is um the five medals you know i've, I've, I've been very public in saying that and I, I i wasn't not that i wasn't wanting to go out and say that initially but i wasn't sure whether it was it was something i should do you know it was something that my i'd spoken about with my coach and with my agent and then we made the, the choice to actually say you know what we're going to go out there and we're going to be public with it and people can come on this journey with us. And it's not saying, you know, it's not like in a, in a cocky way or an arrogant way. It's like, right, I'm going to give my my all. I'm going to give my my best shot to try and win five. And yes, the stars are going to have to align because everything's got to go perfect in every heat and semi-final and relay. The training's got to be great and injury and illness have to, you know, I have to be clear of both of them. But this is what I want to do. It is possible. And come on this journey with me. Um, and hopefully we're going to go out to France. And yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. Get get the five. And how worried are you about illness? Because you had this terrible uh, experience, didn't you, before Tokyo, where you had COVID not once, but twice. And I can really understand uh, how that would make you perhaps more anxious than another competitor who hadn't had that experience. Injury and illness are the bane of any athlete's life. They're often out of our control. Um, but we'll do all we can to prevent them. You know, this time three years ago, I was literally in my bed, isolating, feeling awful with my second bout of COVID. You know, we're only two, three months away from the Olympic trial. So it wasn't it wasn't a happy position to be in. But this year so far, it's been a clean run. Touchwood that that, you know, long may that continue. And, and we're doing everything we can. You know, I'm being extra diligent when it comes to um, my, my, my my prehab, I'm, I'm, my, my warm up routines. I'm putting extra time into all that my my illness um how how conscious of, of it i am you know even things like public transport you know having to to avoid public transport or or, or if you do go on it, it's like wearing a mask and, and keeping on top of your vitamins and minerals and 
it's it comes down to it's everything it's all encompassing and it, it's something you never ever switch off from as an athlete I thought Jessica Ennis Hill said some really interesting things in the edition of the podcast that I've been able to listen to uh, particularly about having a target on your back as an athlete going into a second Olympics or you know possibly uh, you know you'll go into a third as well as you know the person to beat and actually what she said was just own it because your sheer presence might make other competitors slightly mess up and I thought gosh that's a top tip actually isn't it to to be the one who just goes you know you deal with that it's not on me completely and it's it's using that as a superpower you know there's going to be pressure there are going to be crowds there's going to be expectation even doing this podcast you know going out and saying I want to go win five that's like adding a massive amount of pressure and I've had people say what if it doesn't come off and what if it doesn't happen but actually I'm going to use it to my advantage and I'm going to use this podcast and this platform and the people helping me and the fact that I'm defending Olympic champion I'm going to use it to my advantage, you know, and I'm going to walk out there with hopefully a presence and hopefully, um, you know, my, my, my head held high, knowing that I'm I'm trying to go and achieve this great thing. And, and you know, if people do listen to podcasts, they'll understand the, the, the work I'm putting in and, and I'm able to tap into really, really helpful bits of advice. Like Jess said, go out there and, and, and let it play into your hand. Don't let it hinder you. Let it, let it help you. How do you uh, make a, a kind of distinction between how you are in your athletic life, which is, as we've heard, all about winning, all about having that kind of I'm the one to beat. And then actually in the rest of life, in kind of civilian street, that kind of attitude, uh, it doesn't it doesn't often go down very well, actually, Tom. You know, people... Actually, I think, you know, you need empathy, you need a bit of humility, all those kind of things. Uh, so how do you understand that balance? I, I very much, when I'm away from the pool, I very much like to switch off from from that life. And I think you have to be aggressive, you have to be competitive, and you have to be pretty selfish and quite brutal when you are in that environment. It's the nature of the job I'm in. But I very much like to switch off from that. I, I, I like to think I'm quite laid back and... Hopefully, you know, my friends and, 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 and family will agree with me. You know, I think the competitive side comes out when I'm doing play other sports and stuff like that. But but for the most part, I, I very much like to switch off from that. And, and you know, when I when I do spend time with 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 family and friends, it is it is the complete opposite. And I'm able to completely disassociate the two. Tom Dean, Metal Machine is the podcast. It's out now. I can't wait to see how he does in Paris 2024. I almost wish that his family weren't going with him because then we'd be able to see... Do you remember the cutbacks to his family celebrating? They just went through the family went absolutely mental in the middle of the night when he won in Tokyo. It was a lovely, lovely scene. Um, and do you know what? I, I, I think he's got such a future outside of the pool as well because what a canny 24-year-old to even be able to answer that question about how you separate the intensely competitive nature of sport with the fact that showing those kind of personality traits in real life will make people dislike you. It's a, it's a very odd thing, that, isn't it? It's, it is two sides of the human coin, but it is good to know that that's going to happen to you when you're chasing all of your gold dreams. I also think, I mean, I think that's a, a very wise thing to know at 24 about any of your personality, you know, even if you're not an Olympic medal winner, to know that there's certain bits of yourself that have to be kept in a box or channeled into one bit of your life. I think, you know, some people in the workplace would do well to learn that. 
Yeah, some people never have, yeah. uh, even when they're 64. It's always lovely to see you, Jane Mulcairins. Thank you for bringing your sparkle and your wisdom and your political knowledge to off-air. Uh, Jane Garvey is back for the rest of the week, we hope, but she is in a part of the country that you couldn't actually get back from because of the storm, so we cross our fingers for her. Uh, she should be here tomorrow. Has she accidentally been phoned to Cyprus or something, do you think? She could be. She I could mean, be. I think sometimes her weekends are more exotic than she lets on. <laughs> I think she actually, said it was an 80th. Yeah, but also I think, it, I think she's sending out code to the world. I think when she says soup, she's actually sending out code to her people. And uh, they're all gathering somewhere and doing something. They're probably doing, what was it called? Bondi massage. <laughs> Bondassage. Bondassage. I think vegetable soup Check is... her bruises tomorrow yeah. when she gets back, if she gets back. I think it's code for bondissage. Right, have a very good evening, peoples. Uh, very kind of you to listen. It's Jane and Fee at times.radio. If you want to bung us an email, we'll take them on all subjects. Goodbye. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.